There we are. All right. So before we get started, I just want to apologize to Kerry because for, he's always stuck in front of me when I'm singing, and I probably throw him off the tune really fast. So I, again, I apologize there, Kerry. All right. Um, so let's pray before we start here. Father, we thank you the fact that we can come here today to worship you and, Lord, to uh, listen to your words as we uh, speak them here. Uh, Father, uh, your word is true, and I pray, Lord, that you would use me uh, to be able to, uh, to bring forth your truth, Lord, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, last week, uh, we looked at the miracle of uh, Jesus uh, giving sight to a man that was blind from birth, and I found that it was quite refreshing that when many doctors would dismiss such claims, our own doctor, uh, he actually, uh, Mr. David Hook, by, by the way, he actually demonstrated that the miracle is actually more complex than we could have even imagined. So that was refreshing. It was something that only the God that has the power to speak the world into existence could have done. And then the Pharisees, or as we might want to refer to them now as the Pharisees, um, they questioned this man and because they chose not to believe him. They didn't want to believe anything he said. And then they brought his parents in so that they could further question them. See, the problem wasn't necessarily with the questions. The problem was the motive behind the question. They weren't so much interested in finding out the truth. They were trying to discredit him in order to prevent people from following him. Did you ever have people assume things about you that just aren't right? Not, not good things. I mean, I'm talking about bad things. You know? Or sometimes they'll, they'll make stuff up. They'll actually lie about you. And then they go around sharing those things thinking they're doing somebody a service. And if you've had that happen to you, you know it can be quite offensive, especially you know, from a human perspective. Because in essence what they're doing, it's a form of thievery because they're stealing from your reputation. So they are in reality here stealing from God himself. Not a position I'd want to be in. So we're going to look at John chapter 10. We're going to look at uh, verse 1 through 6 here to start, if you want to follow along. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke of to them. Do we have any sheep farmers here today? No, okay. Well, I'm not a sheep farmer. 
not by any stretch of the imagination. So I had uh, to go look into this myself. And I thought, you know what, it might be important to do so because Jesus spoke of it. And the people that were listening were very familiar with what sheep do and what shepherds do. This was a shepherding people. They knew the ins and outs of that shepherd's life. And he knew this, and that's why he used this as an illustration. To understand that in verse 6, it's not saying that they don't understand what shepherds do and what sheep do. What they don't understand is that there's a spiritual teaching that Jesus is teaching here. In Ephesians 4.18, we read, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Sometimes people don't understand because of the blindness of their heart. See, Jesus was relating this illustration of God and his followers. And it wasn't the first time that it was used. In fact, in the Old Testament, it describes God the Father as a shepherd on several occasions. It's the, he's the shepherd of Jacob in Genesis 49. He's the shepherd of Israel in Psalm 80. In Psalm 79, it refers to him, or sorry, it refers to the sheep of God's pasture. So over and over again throughout the scriptures, God chose to use a shepherd and sheep as an illustration of God and those that follow him. And the people that were listening to Jesus speak here, they should have known that. And Jesus declares to them that he is in fact the very shepherd that the scriptures are talking about. But it went right over their heads. So let's go back to sheep for a minute. Remember I said I had to look into what sheep actually do. There are certain characteristics that they have which I find are quite remarkable. Uh, remarkable in the sense that they're very similar to our own characteristics. And we can learn from their behavior. Uh, Solomon, he studied insects. I mean, he even studied the ants and he was amazed at the truth that could be found in studying insects. Think of it. They work as a team. They have determination. If you've seen ants get together, they'll carry a worm across the sidewalk. They are methodical. So, we should technically be able to do the same thing with sheep. Study sheep and learn from the sheep. We examine how they do things and we either choose to apply it or to correct something within our own lives by the study of the sheep. So it makes sense, doesn't it? Especially in light of the fact that Jesus himself compares us to sheep. So here's some examples. Sheep have a strong instinct to follow other sheep. When one sheep decides to go somewhere, typically other sheep will follow. In 1 Corinthians 11 we read, Follow me even as I also am of Christ. That's good. You know, a sheep might go look for a fresh patch of grass and other sheep will follow. A sheep might go look for some refreshing water and other sheep will follow. Unfortunately, it works both ways. Because if one sheep's walking over a cliff, other sheep will follow. And if a sheep leads others astray, time after time after time, the shepherd takes his rod and he'll injure its leg. And he'll do this to prevent it from endangering the entire flock. 
He'll mend it. He'll carry that sheep. He'll take it from place to place. He'll bring it food. He'll give it fresh water until it's fully healed. And once it's healed, that sheep won't ever leave the shepherd's side because it knows that the shepherd was the one that carried it. It knows that the shepherd was the one that fed it. (laughs) Did you know that sheep actually follow each other to the slaughter as well? I was reading about this farmer and he describes it this way. He said they usually have a pet sheep and it's sent out in the pen area. It sometimes has this bell tied around its neck. Uh, I guess the other sheep like to hear the noise. They like the dingling in their ears. You might want to look at 2 Timothy 4.3 for reference on that one. Um, Then they'll follow that sheep up the ramp to this killing floor. And as the lead sheep gets up there, the farmer will take that sheep out of there. But by then it's too late because the other sheep are blindly following that sheep up the ramp. And one by one, they blindly follow the sheep and then one by one, they are dispatched on the killing floor. And I was astounded to find out that they actually have a title for this pet sheep, if you will, that leads them up the ramp. It was called the Judas sheep, of all things. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, I am so happy that Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd that leads his sheep, makes them to lie down in green pastures, and not as a farmer that drives his sheep to a slaughter. So here are some other interesting facts about sheep. Now, try and notice the spiritual application of this. Okay, I'm not just giving you details about sheep. Apply it as a spiritual application, okay? So from birth, lambs are conditioned to follow older members in the flock. Uh, Sheep are really, really social animals. That's another thing. In fact, behaviorists, they said that when sheep are grazing, they like to be in the presence of three or four other sheep so that way they can keep eye contact with them. This maintains a visual link and it also uh, creates this flocking instinct and that's that flocking instinct that the shepherd will use so that way he can move large numbers of sheep and lamb around. In fact, if you remove a sheep from the group, they get highly agitated. And this banding together is something else that prevents them from being attacked by predators. The predator always goes for the outliers, those standalone sheep, because they're a lot easier to, to take off. Which brings us to the next point. Sheep are always on the lookout for predators. They don't, when they walk, they don't track in a straight line, they track in this waving line. And the reason they do that is because they have this wide field of vision and as they're going, they can actually see behind them what's coming up behind them and they can keep an eye on everything. And while they're doing that, they can actually point their ears in the direction of a sound as it's coming. So they're looking everywhere. And actually, they could smell predators and very well because they could differentiate between one versus the next. They know what kind of predator that they're smelling. That's a sermon in and of itself right there. On the other hand, they have really poor depth perception. Especially if they're walking with their heads up. They have poor depth perception. That's why oftentimes you'll see them, they'll stop to examine something more closely. They tend to avoid shadows or sharp contrast between light and dark. They're reluctant to go where they can't see. 
something else I wasn't aware of is that sheep have an amazing level of tolerance to pain. And they don't want to show their pain because if they do, the predator is always looking for those that are weak or injured. And finally, how do we know if a sheep is healthy? The sources that I was looking at, they all agreed that appetite is a strong indicator of health. See, healthy sheep always display normal eating behavior. I'm not talking about pizza, I'm talking about the Word of God, okay? (laughs) They always demonstrate a normal eating behavior. In fact, they're going to chew their cud for several hours in a day. Healthy sheep, they're very eager to eat. They're going to bleat in anticipation of the food. In fact, they're going to approach the feeding area quite quickly. At the same time, they were saying that food can be an excellent motivator. If you want to move the entire group around, or if you want to motivate them to go somewhere else, you just grab a bucket of grain and you just get them to follow you that way. Something else they said is that grain feeding tends to make sheep friendlier and less intimidated by people. So if you're not friendly, you just need to start reading the Bible. On the other hand, a lack of appetite is probably the most common symptom for a sick sheep. A sheep that's reluctant to uh, get up is probably in pain. A sheep that takes a long time to lay down is probably in pain. And during that time now, they're in danger of becoming prey to a predator. Let's look at verse 7 here. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I will come that they might have life. Sorry, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So at this point, Jesus boldly declares, I am the good shepherd. In other words, Uh, Listen up, people. You know that good shepherd that's talked about in the Scriptures? That's me. And you know, as I'm reading this, I have to be honest, I was tempted to think that the whole crowd was just full of guys. Okay? And that there was no women present. And I think the women might agree with me here. Okay? So hear me out. And here's why. Because when it comes to hints, guys are useless. You can't take a hint, right? I mean, you know, you have birthdays and Christmas. uh, You know, a guy will ask for specific details. What do you want as a gift? Meanwhile, she's probably been dropping hints for the last couple of months. And you haven't clued in to what she's been saying. 
So if a woman would have been here, she would have understood what Jesus said the first time, and then she would have said, listen up, guys, this is what he's actually talking about. So Jesus wouldn't have repeated himself a second time and in greater detail. Obviously, I'm kidding. But what he wanted to do was to make sure that everybody in an earshot understood what he was saying. He was saying that he was the one true God. Then he goes on to describe the interaction between shepherd and sheep. And if you have a dog, you know how excited they are uh, when they hear the voice of their owner. You know, they can be sleeping on the couch at the back of the house. Cars are driving down the road. People walking down the sidewalk, they could care less. But they hear your car, and it's a block away. They hear the distinct sound that your car makes. Then they hear you pull into the driveway. They hear your voice. Their tail starts to wag. They start to pant. Before you're at the door, they're already there trying to greet you. And that's what these sheep are like. They know the voice of the good shepherd. They have been eagerly awaiting him. They don't approach the gate for strangers' voice, but they bleat with excitement for someone they do know. Because these sheep are waiting for their shepherd. You know, likewise, some Israelites, they had been waiting a long time for the Messiah. They've been looking for him, and they know him because they read his word. They've been reading the word of God. They didn't follow other self-professing saviors because of what those false messiahs were saying and what they were doing. It didn't line up with scripture. So when you think about it, the shepherd's voice kind of works in conjunction with the gate. The sheep only leave when they are called by the shepherd. Otherwise, they're going to stay. But unfortunately, there will be thieves and robbers, as Jesus pointed out. And you know, we might interchange the words thief and robber thinking they're similar, but they're not. They're different. See, a thief steals in secret. He'll do it behind your back. And you're not aware that a crime was committed until you find out something's missing or something was done. For example, when the people were disseminating false information about Jesus when he wasn't present. They were thieving bit by bit. They were stealing his reputation. And by doing so, they were also stealing away sheep that would have gone on to follow after Jesus. Remember how the Pharisees were telling the blind man and his family that Jesus was not sent by God? that he was actually in opposition to God. They were making all kinds of uh, excuses about it. But what they were doing is they were trying to steal his testimony in order to prevent people from following him. But unlike a thief, a robber, he'll steal things while the victim is present. He'll do it right to your face. He might take force. He might use threats. He'll do whatever he wants in order to get what he wants. Now, in this illustration, uh, Jesus has the sheep located in a pen. And uh, this pen here is a picture of the commonwealth of Israel. Keep in mind that 
the kind of sheep pen that he was uh, referring to is the kind of sheep pen that you would typically uh, use in overnight situations. It was a large pen where several shepherds could actually go in uh, and bring their sheep in there. The porter would open the gate uh, to them and then the sheep would just intermingle in this area. So you could have sheep from different flocks all mixed up together. And the sheep were not tagged like we have today. They weren't marked. They were just left in there to roam along uh, together. But that wasn't a problem. Because when the shepherd would return the following day, he would call his sheep and they were very familiar with his voice. So when he was at getting to the gate, they were already making their way out to the gate, just like your dog. He's already at the door before he even opened that door. And the ones that didn't belong to him would just stay back. And a good shepherd, he would also count his sheep as they would come out. Because, you know what, overnight, because sometimes it was packed in there, a sheep could have been injured. So if the sheep is injured, the shepherd would have to go in and try to find his sheep and then carry him out. But sometimes some of the shepherds weren't so nice. They might, you know, go in there and try to hold the sheep back while another sheep is, shepherd is trying to call his sheep. Could have been all kinds of things happening. And then they would hope that the shepherd wasn't, you know, counting the sheep as they left and he'd wait till he was gone, then he'd hold back the sheep and just keep it for himself. See, when the blind man and his parents were brought forth uh, in for questioning, the Pharisees, in essence, were trying to hold them back. They were preventing them from following the voice of the good shepherd. They threatened them. They said they were going to be excommunicated from the synagogue. It worked on the parents. But the blind man, he left before those things could get a grip on him. And the Bible says that he went out, that Jesus found him, and that the man worshipped Jesus. Now think about that for a while. Why would he worship Jesus? Or better yet, why would Jesus allow himself to be worshipped? Especially in light of the fact that the Bible says that we're not to worship any person or anything except for God himself. So these religious leaders were like thieves. They were stealthily trying to take away the sheep. You know, they manipulate people for their own gain. But what they didn't realize is that God knows everything. So Jesus spoke of thieves, he spoke of robbers, but he also mentioned hirelings or hired hands. While the good shepherd loves the sheep, he'll lay down his life for the sheep to save them. The hireling doesn't have a vested interest like the shepherd does. You know, the first sign of trouble, he's out of there, he's looking for his next gig. Um, it reminds me of Judges 17. I was reading there, and Micah, the Ephraimite, he hired a Levite, that's a rhyme, to be his personal priest. See, Micah had all these false gods that he worshipped, but what he did is he wanted to add a Levite so that the God of Israel would look favorably upon him. Then the men from Dan came to stir up some trouble, but then they saw him and they offered him a better position. So he left and he went with them. 
See, he was a hired hand. He didn't really have interest of his current employer. He was more of a selfish hired hand, I guess you could say. You can have some selfless hired hands too, though. I mean, think of teachers. Selfless. Some teachers care greatly about their students. I mean, they'll pour themselves into them. And they want to prepare them, help them attain goals. And some of them will actually be a parental figure to those that don't have that at home. But from an idea standpoint, the parent-child relationship should be more loving than a parent-teacher relationship. Unfortunately, uh, there are some times when that's not the case. But we need to understand that people are fallible. God is not fallible. So Jesus here is not fallible. He loves us with a perfect love. No one can love you as much as God loves you. you know, not your sibling, not your parent, not your, your child, not your spouse. No one can love you more than God. But the Pharisees, had, what they had done is they had turned the truth of God into a lie. They put these religious barriers in place in order to prevent people from getting to know God personally. See, we come to God and He saves us by grace through faith in Him. Not by our own abilities, it's His gift. He can't be manipulated by our good deeds, He can't uh, be manipulated by us keeping certain rules. That way we can't brag about the fact that, hey, we deserve His love. You know, people have attempted to earn God's favor for thousands of years. And there's even religious groups that do this to this day. I mean, nothing's new. And they might have different names for what they do, but ultimately they create a level of dependence on leaders and they make you jump through certain hoops in order to attain favor with God. But the reality is, we can't impress God. It's like... Uh, having a, a sheep trying to impress its shepherd by the fact that it could chew grass. It's not going to impress the shepherd much. Think about it. The shepherd who would put his life on the line to protect his sheep from the wolf is not doing it because the sheep knows how to grow wool or because the sheep can follow him when he's feeding it. He does it because he cares for the sheep. That's his only motivation. On the other hand, the hireling, he might just count his losses. You know, he'll tally it up and he's just part of doing business. Let's look at verse 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received of my Father. So as I briefly mentioned before, uh, the sheep pen in here is a picture of the commonwealth of Israel. Not all the sheep that are in the pen are his sheep. In other words, not all of Israel is saved. In fact, Jesus is saying here that he has other sheep that aren't even part of this fold. 
This refers to the Gentile nations. Just to clear that up, if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. Okay? See, some of the Jews, they thought that God looked favorably upon them by the simple fact that they were Jews and the Jews were the chosen people of God. And yet the Bible doesn't say that just because they were born Jewish that they automatically get salvation. Back then, just like today, there was cultural Jews. You know, uh, those that were born and raised in Jewish families and culture, and then they had their own idea of what God was. Then there were spiritual Jews, Jews that followed the true God as he is described in the Bible. Nowadays, we have cultural Christians. You know, those that were born and raised in Christian families, and they have their own preferences of who God is, what they like about God, and that's, that's what they consider. And then we have spirit-filled Christians. They may or may not have been raised in a Christian family, but they have chosen to surrender themselves to God. And He has personally saved them from sin. You know, they chose to follow God the Father as He's described in the Scripture. They didn't select what they... What, parts of him that they liked. But now from the beginning, God's plan of salvation was always by grace through faith in him. From the time of Adam and the patriarchs, um, through Moses, the judges, the prophets, God had always intended for one salvation. It wasn't that there was uh, one way of salvation for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. And it wasn't that there was one way of salvation before Jesus and one after Jesus. Right from Genesis 3.15, which, by the way, is thousands of years before the Jewish nation was even born, the Lord God had already described how the Messiah would come and he would break the chains of sin and death. And he would save us if we confess him as Lord and Savior. And when God chose Abraham, it wasn't because uh, Abraham was uh, stronger or it wasn't because he was smarter, it wasn't because he was more handsome than anyone else. It was because Abraham was willing to believe God and follow him. God called him and Abraham followed. He was ordinary. I mean, the people around him wouldn't have said, wow, look at that, Abraham. They would have been like, wow, what a marvelous God he has. Look how God's blessed him. And likewise, Abraham would have said, you know, it's not me. It's all God. And he would have been praising God. Later on, the children of Israel, they lived in Egypt. God took care of them. They were the light and the darkness. Generations later, they grew into a nation unto themselves. And then they left Egypt. They went for the promised land that was promised to Abraham. And because they were that light and the darkness, other people, Gentiles, decided to follow them because they followed the promises of God. They didn't earn salvation by becoming Jews. They changed direction. You could study the accounts of Caleb, Rahab, I mean the entire city of Nineveh. They didn't all become Jewish all of a sudden. They just believed God. In Ephesians 2.11, wonderful, wonderful scripture by the way, we read, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, 
made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile to them both to, uh, them both to God in one body through the cross, where, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, you have to come to Jesus. And the requirement's not different. They just have to stop what they're doing and we have to stop what we're doing and we have to choose to follow him. So let's look at the last section here. Verse 19. Therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, uh, the first chapter, There's nothing new under the sun. And you know what? If you think about it, Throughout the generations, there was always a division among the people whenever the prophets of God spoke. Some of them listened and obeyed. Some of them, uh, you know, they ignored the message. But some chose to hate the message. So it should be no surprise that not everyone was willing to believe Jesus here. That he was the Christ that was spoken of in the Bible. And yes, to some Jews, he was the long-awaited Messiah that Savior that was going to take away their sin. But to others, he was just a barrier. They loved their sin more than God himself. And you know what? We can understand that because there's pleasure in sin. But when it comes down to it, that's what it comes down to, actually, doesn't it? Do we love God or do we prefer sin? You know, the Incas, they lived in uh, South America, uh, they had tons and tons of gold and silver. They didn't even realize the value of what they had uh, because their little part of the world was all they knew. They didn't know anything beyond their world. They had no idea what was beyond their own land and they didn't know that gold and silver was the currency of every other nation. The Spaniards came and they knew the real value of that treasure. But instead of letting the Incas know the truth, they offered to trade some you know, measly little items for these large sums of gold and silver. So the Incas were tempted by the Spaniards and what they could offer them, so they gladly took them on their offer. Consequently, they ended up losing all their wealth. Ultimately, they died from the disease that accompanied the trade. So we can't be fooled into think that, you know, hey, I can have my cake and eat it too. Sin is the disease that leads to death. So you don't want to sell your eternity for a little bit of pleasure that sin might bring in this life. You know, maybe you're a sheep and you've gone astray. That happens. 
you know, you've been living life out in the wild and you haven't heard the shepherd's voice in a long time. Today, the Bible says if you'll listen, he's calling. You need to stop what you're doing. You need to think, stop, and turn back and face yeah, face the Lord. He's, he's waiting. You know, maybe you're like that sheep that's being held back. It could be uh, some form of religion. Maybe it's people have, that have this influence over you. Whatever the case, you just have to call out to Jesus and he's going to be coming over to save you. Maybe you just happen to be here today and you've just been walking through life and you're thinking, you know what? There's got to be more to life than just this. What's the meaning of life? That's the ultimate question people like to ask. What is the meaning of life? And you've come to dead end after dead end and you're wondering, what is this all about? There's got to be more than this. The good news is that there is more to life. Absolutely. God is offering us eternal life. It doesn't get any better than that. Eternal life? Not on this decrepit planet. Okay? God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. That's eternal life. All you have to do is stop going down this path and turn to Him. Change your direction from sin and from yourself because with sin, the self accompanies sin. Change that direction and turn to God and just ask Him to save you. The Bible says that you have to humble yourself like a child. God says that He resists the proud but He gives grace to the humble. Remember how the Pharisees were stealing from God Himself? How they were stealing but they didn't even realize that they were doing it from God Himself? The Bible says that we've all sinned against God. So that means that it's not just the Pharisees that are guilty of this crime against God. We are all guilty of this crime against God. And the penalty of that sin is death. The good news is, though, the Bible also says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if we've sinned against God, which we have, the law says that the punishment that we deserve is eternal suffering. But God, the God that created you, He actually wants to be your Savior too. So He took upon Himself the form of a man. He chose to bear your sins upon himself while he was on the cross. He ultimately paid the death penalty that we deserve. And because Jesus is God, he rose himself from the dead. He defeated death. After he was resurrected, hundreds of eyewitnesses would attest to the fact of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and that he is the one and true living God. 
So don't be like the Incas who ultimately lost their life for a few measly little things. You call out to Jesus and you ask him to save you today. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, it's, uh, it's just so hard, Lord, to comprehend just how much you love us. How can a God that is infinite in all his attributes love us the way you do? Not only as a shepherd loves his sheep, but as a father loves his sons and daughters. Lord, may our love for you be demonstrated through our obedience to your word. Help us to gain a greater understanding of your love towards us and to those that are lost. Lord, we want to reflect your light in the darkness so that you and you only would be glorified in and through our lives. Lord, we ask that you would stir our hearts anew. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.